welcome to episode three of Spongebob-O-Matic. Again, same thing we've been doing here, just going through each episode in order. And in case you didn't watch the last ones, when we say episode, that usually includes A and Bs. In this case, it's episode 3A, Jellyfishing, and 3B, Plankton, with an exclamation point at the end of it. And with me here, we're going to be talking about a couple different things uh, to start off with Jellyfishing. We will say that episode it was written by Steve Fonte, Chris Mitchell, Peter Burns, and Tim Hill. And then it was storyboarded by Steve Fonte and Chris Mitchell. I believe in the last episode, I had made note of the fact that on the writing team, there's also some of the members from the storyboard team. And yeah, it's not really that uncommon. I did do a lot of looking at that before as well. And in this case, indeed, both of the storyboarders, the storyboard director and the person just credited as storyboarder are indeed both writers in this one. So they both definitely had an impact on the way it was going to be done. Yeah, this episode's a pretty classic one. Uh, both of these ones from, from episode three are, uh, I'm excited to, excited to get into them. Yes, they are very memorable ones. Pretty much everything from season one is, but this is kind of that point where at least if we're getting into three, a, all of the characters, all the, you know, players in this plot have been established. So we don't really need any frameworking. We just get to see them work in their environment and see how they come together and get a story that doesn't feel a need to kind of show us anything new because we already kind of have an idea of these characters yeah uh, now, if you yeah if you kind of look at this one and, and break it down to something like bubble stand which we covered last episode it's very similar uh spongebob and patrick are doing their thing and squidward's kind of getting you know it, it's a very similar structure to to that episode mm-hmm and so to start off with what the plot is, so obviously the plot is going to revolve around jellyfishing. If you remember from Tea at the Tree Dome, this is something we saw SpongeBob doing at the beginning of that episode. But here the actual concept gets a little more depth, a little more focus. Uh, one thing that should be noted is that while he might have seemed like he kind of knew what he was doing, maybe was a little more professional, had a lot of research there, uh, we're going to see that SpongeBob, when he's with Patrick, obviously is a, a little less professional. It's like Patrick kind of rubs off on him in that way, but... To start it off, it's basically just SpongeBob and Patrick there planning to go jellyfishing, and then they ask Squidward if he wants to join, but he is Squidward, so he's... It's one of those things where Squidward doesn't want to, but he's sarcastic, and SpongeBob and Patrick aren't smart enough to know what sarcasm is, uh, but Squidward does not remember Patrick's name, and that is probably the, the funniest part of the opening, in my opinion. <laughs> yeah, he, he says, uh, uh, Patrick, yeah. It's very weird, because, you know, they're the only three neighbors on their block, but somehow Squidward doesn't actually know Patrick. I'm not surprised that Squidward would be self-absorbed enough not to know the name of one of his two neighbors. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, and before that uh, scene where they talk to Squidward, there is a bit of a, a funny opening sequence where once SpongeBob and Patrick decide to go jellyfishing, they have like this action scene where they're like running through SpongeBob's house. They like dive into uh, like pipes fitting their shape. So there's one big circle one for Patrick. There's one square one for SpongeBob. Um, they like they they pro, uh, go down that rope and they burn their hands and they have to like blow their hands off. And then uh, the the scene where they have to like assemble their uh, jellyfishing nets. Uh, which I always found so satisfying as a kid when they're like, they open up that closet and they like grab all the pieces and put them together. It was, it was always really cool to me. And that's how I figured out what rope burn was, because obviously when you're a kid, you don't really go down a lot of ropes, but I was like, oh, if you go down too fast, it'll burn your skin off. Yeah. And then there's the contrasting of that. Cause like the whole like first, you know, 30 seconds or so of the episode is this, you know, I mean, it's, it's a jokey, there's like jokey moments in there, but it's like it meant to like be like a, this quote unquote serious action scene. And then once they get outside with their, um, with their fishing nets, they, they start like prancing and, and going la 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 as they start jellyfishing, which is just a funny the, contrast. The closest equivalent to jellyfishing would be probably bug catching, maybe more specifically like a, a butterfly, something yeah, along those butterfly lines. Catching. Uh, yeah, just with the way the nets are, with the way it's, you know, it's a floating creature, which isn't. It's actually a little more harmful in this context than a butterfly would be, but for a normal person, it's not that big of a deal. Um, moving forward with the plot, when Squidward's being sarcastic and he's like, uh, no, I'm not going to do that, essentially, he's like, yeah, next time for sure. Uh, Patrick has a comment there where it's like, maybe he doesn't like us. And SpongeBob says, no, we're his best friends, which it's funny because both of those things are mutually true. <laughs> yeah, they are his best friends, but also he doesn't like them. Yeah, it's... And it is really funny um, that uh, they they make that comment because usually Patrick is the oblivious one 
to a lot of that stuff and spongebob is the one that that is a little more self-aware but in this instance I, I guess like with what's actually going on spongebob's usually the one that's more self-aware and with uh like <laughs> like interpersonal matters i suppose patrick's maybe the the smarter one it's just one of those things where i think spongebob someone who you know doesn't have a mean bone in his body can't bring himself to believe that his neighbor actually dislikes them like it's one of those things where like if spongebob processes that he's like oh you know we're just playing around or it's like oh he's mad now but we're friends at the end of the day like i don't think spongebob is the type of person who could ever see someone in like a light where it's like okay well we just don't get along yeah for sure and then uh the next sequence uh is when squidward leaves he leaves on his like bike his like underwater bike with these weird flaps on it um and there's this really interesting like i suppose cinematic choice where you see squidward driving down the road on his bike and then you see a jellyfish kind of like swimming towards him and there's this weird like quick cut of like squidward laughing at the fact like kind of making fun of spongebob and patrick and then there's like the jellyfish buzzing and there's this really interesting like quick cut between the two where they're like getting closer and closer to each other and i thought that was really interesting because it's not it's not something you usually you know you don't usually see like I, I again i suppose it would be like the editing um used to like make jokes or like scenes like that in spongebob yeah, or like in children's media at all. Like it's kind of a complicated, I guess, compositional choice, I would almost say. But, you know, there's there's a lot of different things you'd call that depending on what angle you want to look at it from. Uh, but I do think that it's important to note that within the context of the series, we've seen it a couple times up to now, and we will continue to see it for the foreseeable future. There is an incredibly careful balance of karma. Uh, and what we see here is when Squidward and the jellyfish collide, um, essentially, you know, Squidward, he meets harm, like he accidentally kind of swallows the jellyfish, starts stinging him. He falls off a cliff and randomly explodes, which is a joke <laughs> that it just hits because you don't expect it. And they kind of lean on that a couple times in early episodes, but like none of the times does it make any sense. So it always manages to hit uh, really well. I, I, I couldn't explain it. It's one of those things that just is funny. But back to the main point about that, there's this balance of karma where that is funny and we appreciate that it happened because it happened after squidward did something wrong yeah and this idea of give and take bad is met with bad and good is met with good is almost like a sub theme at this point in the show where it's like again we've discussed this before spongebob's optimism and positivity lead him to positive outcomes squidward's negativity leads him to negative outcomes and we'll see this balance of karma continue as we go forward because that's really it's not funny to watch someone innocent get hurt it's funny to watch someone who's mean get hurt exactly and there are episodes uh in later seasons maybe even later in the season i don't remember where they kind of try to play with that concept a little bit where spongebob does actually get a lot of bad things that happen to him because of the good things that he does and then but then the over again the overall critique on the whole episode like by the end it's it comes full circle and like squidward eventually gets you know or, or whatever else whatever other forces is working against spongebob like gets their own so yeah that is very a, a very key um very key trope i suppose or I, yeah theme is the better word for it uh that that goes out throughout the series it's like a more like minor theme it's not super pronounced but it is something you can definitely see throughout and then what happens after that you know unlike in again like a lot of cartoons that are going to do that kind of slapstick uh so to speak sort of humor uh, Squidward actually goes to the hospital and we do like a quick cut to when it's time for him to get out of the hospital. And this is just a minor thing, but SpongeBob's chair in this scene has a dial on it, which I'm not sure if it consistently has. And I'm not sure what it does because I don't think we ever see him turn it. But it makes me wonder if it's some kind of like massage chair and SpongeBob somehow afforded something like that. Oh, yeah, that yeah, I didn't catch that. But yeah, that is interesting. And then, uh, yeah, in that scene, there's a there's a funny gag when um, when SpongeBob sees Squidward like in his wheelchair riding back towards the house. He calls Patrick, and they're like, "Oh, we gotta go, we gotta go say hi to Squidward. We gotta give him his best day ever." And then they hang up, and you realize that they're in the same room, and they were just calling on the phone to each other, <laughs> like even though they're right next to each other, which is just a funny little gag. Now, something to note about that though is SpongeBob says Squidward's best friends are going to give him the best day ever, and Patrick's response is, "Oh, great." Who are they? <laughs> yeah, that's another good one. Mm -hmm. And it's really with that as well. If you look at it visually, that scene is set up in a really like good way. In that when he makes the call, it does a split screen where it looks like Patrick is in another place because the decorating and the background of the wall is different 
than the wall that SpongeBob is standing in front of. And it's just, it's a joke where I feel like that takes a lot of knowledge of space to pull off and then to pull it off in such a way. I really appreciated that from the animators. Well, it's one of those jokes that could only happen like on TV or on a cartoon. Like that's not something you could pull off like in real life in any way, just because like it is fully on the fact that this is a TV show. We're putting a line in the middle of the screen, which people know means like they're in a different space and they're on a phone and then just dropping that line and realizing, Oh, it's just a corner of a wall. And then they're just talking to each other in the same room is, is really effective. You'd have to be very careful about how you did it to make something like that work in real life, but it does really make use of its medium to give an interesting joke with perspective there. Um, so what happens after that is that, you know, they see Squidward, he's coming home, like SpongeBob was just telling Patrick, and they're going to give him the best day ever. Now, I mentioned earlier, SpongeBob doesn't know what sarcasm is, so he thinks a part of that is that Squidward would like to go jellyfishing with them. But before that, they do a, a couple other gags. Patrick tries to feed him soup. And Squidward at this point's in a full body cast. He can't do anything. And Patrick's like, oh, it's hot. Let me blow on the soup. And the soup blows onto Squidward. Patrick, however, does not have object permanence and sees there is no soup and presumes it disappeared and proceeds to do it again. And just keeps repeatedly burning Squidward over and over again. And then uh, right before that, too, when they greet him, like SpongeBob, I think, uh, yells like, welcome back, Squidward. And then Patrick Merry yells, Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> Which is just like, yeah. It's it's really because like that's like a joke like they don't nobody addresses it it's whatever but it's like you as the audience member know like okay it's not Christmas that's just funny because it's like it's there's a lot of joke especially this episode this one and the next one there's a lot of jokes that just kind of happen one after another and you're not really supposed to think about them but if you stop and do they're really like they're 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 quick and they're easy but they're they're really effective and they they make use of like the characters that we know at this point to to deliver them effectively I think. Yeah, it wouldn't work nearly as well if someone like SpongeBob had said it or Sandy, but because it's Patrick, it makes the joke land a lot easier because Patrick just would make a mistake like that. Now, if we want to get really into it, there is a continuity error in that they shouldn't know what Christmas is yet because Sandy introduces the concept later. True. But yeah. also, they it's one of those things where there are times where SpongeBob and Patrick will reference something from land, but then not know what it is. They'll just have heard the word before. So it could be one of those things that's really up to viewer interpretation, however you want to logic that one out. Very true. And then after the soup thing, uh, there is uh, SpongeBob tries to regale Squidward with uh, a clarinet performance. And he realizes, uh, he starts playing and he does it really badly. And then he thinks the problem is that he has to lick his lips. And there's this like long, like 10 second bit where he's just like really aggressively licking his lips. And it's, it's really like, it's weird, but also funny at the same time. Like it's uncomfortable to watch and the sounds he's making are very, like, are very visceral, but like it's, it still is really funny. And then that leads to Patrick saying, okay, you know, music's not worth it. We're just going to go jellyfishing. And this is actually the first time we saw jellyfish fields earlier. Again, like I said, in Tea at the Tree Dome. But here we learn, you know, they directly say this is jellyfish fields. And this is a location that's going to be prominent. Again, jellyfish fields, Goolagoon, uh, the street they live on has a name. I do not remember what the name of the street is because it doesn't come up like ever. Yeah. But those places and the Krusty Krab, those are like our main locations. Most of our stories are going to take place in one of those four places. Uh, sometimes they travel to other places or there's some places where like they're used a lot, but they're not one of those main places. And so it's an important place to remember, you know, if you're going through this again for the first time watching these episodes, you will be seeing it again in the future. And there are, again, a lot of really iconic bits here. This is really the part of the episode where it gets into what people remember uh, I'd say the most important thing is SpongeBob goes off and is like, okay, Patrick, you know, get his net ready. And Squidward is in a full body cast. He cannot hold a net. Patrick does not understand this and yells at him to firmly grasp it. And to make him firmly grasp it, he shoves it into the cast and through Squidward's tentacle, which the funny part of that is the net is not even at an angle where he could feasibly have used it. Patrick's just like, okay, yeah, that works. Yeah, I mean, he's technically holding it up, so I suppose he kind of could have, like, which he tries to do later is just, like, go in, like, just go straight ahead. But, yeah, it's it really is not effective. But, yeah, the firmly the firmly grasp it and shoving it through his hand and seeing that, like, that's, you know, I mean, I, I think everyone, if you hear the word firmly or grasp, you're, that's, you, a lot of kids our age will think of that. And Patrick is just so frustrated at this concept that Squidward's not holding it. But it's like Squidward... He's literally not capable of holding it. And he does not 
stop to even think about it. He's just like, okay, you're being difficult. So well, I'm going to solve this problem. It's actually even weirder than that because he's immediately, like, happy at Squidward. I think he's kind of just mad at, like, the net, weirdly. If you watch that scene again, he's not really, like, mad at Squidward. He's He is giving him the instruction, but it's like he's kind of just mad at, like, the like the net or, like, the situation more than, like, Squidward, which is interesting. Because it's just like, what does he think the problem is here? <laughs> He clearly just doesn't understand it, but then SpongeBob doesn't really seem to see a problem either because he's like, okay, well, that happened and that's that's what we're doing. Well, yeah, he thinks and somebody so, in a full body cast should be going out like jellyfishing, which is, you know, not good. Again, it's one of those things where it's like he his positivity and optimism blind him into doing things that don't work out, um, which leads into here when he's trying to essentially teach Squidward to jellyfish, like show him what they need to do. Again, this is another one of those things. SpongeBob seems to have a lot of like rituals to the kinds of things he does. And this also ties into the musical aspect the show has up to this point that we've seen, where not only is it like this ritual of actions where he's like, here's what you have to do. He's also like, um, you know, doing a little song with it too. It is da, a da, 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 song. Da, da, I, I don't know the name of it. I don't either. Yeah, they, they start, they start actually it. playing it because at first it starts with Squidward or uh, SpongeBob and Patrick just singing it, doing the da-da-da-da-dum. But then towards the end, you actually hear the music, like the actual, um, I guess, symphony it, it is. Like, you hear that in the background uh, get louder and louder by the end and while they're, like, all falling over each other. It is an interesting point um, to note that Later in the show, especially SpongeBob is seen to be a very capable jellyfish hunter. Like he is somebody that is actually really good at jellyfishing. But in this episode, him and Patrick are really bad at it. They they don't seem to like be like they are falling over each other. They're constantly getting stung. Like they seem to not be good at it at all, which is something that is I mean, I guess not retcon because he could have just gotten better, but it's it's interesting to see that contrast. And I kind of mentioned that earlier too where when SpongeBob's alone, he seems very capable, but when he's with Patrick, it's like something just changes in him where he gets swept up in Patrick's way of doing things that makes him worse at everything he's trying to do. Yeah. And then during this scene, while, while SpongeBob and Patrick are doing this, Squidward gets stung on the nose by uh, by a, just a jellyfish away from, from the group. And Pat, uh, Squidward's mad at this, and he starts uh, like following him, trying to catch him in his net, following him very slowly in his wheelchair. And uh, we see that jellyfish lump up against a mass, which you can kind of tell right away is like a real is like a bigger jellyfish. But it doesn't seem like Squidward has noticed that. And he he catches him. You know, he just kind of puts the puts the net over him and starts beating him up against this mass. Like just has the jellyfish in the net and starts beating him up against it. And the laugh he does during this is like the through the bandages, like the ha ha ha, is it's just really fucking sinister as he's beating him. Uh, and then eventually the, the mass rises to show that it's a, a giant jellyfish. And one of the things about that, too, is later on, I uh, will establish like a king jellyfish. I believe we see a queen jellyfish at one point as well. Um, however, this one does not have a crown, which is a normal visual indicator of that. So this one seems to just be a giant jellyfish. So again, unlike butterfly hunting, um, there is a danger if they're not paying attention. And so that does obviously lead the giant jellyfish to start chase, chasing Squidward around. But SpongeBob and Patrick, you know, in their naivety, you're like, oh, you got this, Squidward. You're going to get him in your net that is three times smaller <laughs> than him. You've got it under control. He does not have it under control. As well, it's not, even they have it, it's not even like they think there's any danger. They're just like cheering him on, being like, yeah, Squid, Squidward. Like they think he's just doing great. And then... Yeah, he gets uh, electrocuted, and the, and the look on SpongeBob and Patrick's face, like they both instantly recognize, like, oh, he's like dead, like he has died twice. At the beginning of the episode, he blew up, and now he he like got electrocuted, which like based on the the look of it, how much how much like lighting was bouncing off of uh, SpongeBob and Patrick's face, he probably would have killed him. And then we see too, um, after that scene. When SpongeBob and Patrick are at home, they're also pretty bandaged up. And yes, they did hurt themselves before that, but it's kind of implied there that they also ended up suffering some damage from that jellyfish, which in a way, when I was talking about that balance of karma earlier, I feel like that does say something about the universe where it's like they led Squidward into a situation he didn't want to be in. And yes, Squidward's pain is his fault, but it's almost like because they kind of encouraged it and were a part of it, they also ended up suffering. Um, but Squidward obviously suffers even worse because when he comes home he's not even in a wheelchair anymore like he is even more bandaged up even less mobile he is just 
completely out of it. He's on like a hospital bed, but that is like able to be controlled electronically, like a wheel, like an electronic wheelchair, which is in he has like a he has an IV bag above him and stuff. He is just in even more of a bad, bad way. Um, and then yeah, once he arrives back home, uh, SpongeBob and Patrick gift him the jellyfish or a jellyfish, or maybe it's the jellyfish that stung him. It, it is the jellyfish, but it's also important to what happens next to realize spongebob and patrick realize fault and they apologize and part of their apology was giving him that jellyfish but then squidward you know he is who he is he's very vengeful he's very angry he turns that jellyfish back on them he releases it it starts to sting them and then again as part of this cyclist karma the big jellyfish shows up again after i, I presume it's like hearing the call or like knowing somehow that the smaller jellyfish was there then stings squidward even harder to the point where all of his bandages burn off ow exactly and that's that's the end of the episode and again i do think that if you wanted to look at a cycle of karma in the show in depth this is the episode that best shows that and how that cycle works again there will be points where they break those rules things with this show do tend to change over time especially you know with the show that's gone on for i think over 20 years now for certain um maybe not exactly over 20 years but it's been quite a while because i think it aired in like 1999 yeah i guess it would be over 20 years god that is so long uh but at this point in the show this episode gives you a really good idea of what the universe is about as far as what is just and what should happen to who yeah it's the the big like a big thing with squidward's character throughout this whole thing is he can never win and it's not like through some the universe is against him. It's he actively tries to fight the universe and the universe will always say no. You know, he always tries to do, he always tries to be mean or be, you know, arrogant or whatever. And the universe will always shoot him down when he does that. And it's in the, it's in the episodes where Squidward doesn't do that, where he actually tries to be a nice person that he is ever rewarded for what he does. And that really just goes to show, again, the philosophy of the show about what does it mean to be like Squidward? What does it mean to be like SpongeBob? What should you take out of this? You know, what, what is there to be seen? What kind of lesson is there? And that about wraps it up for 3A. Again, Jellyfishing, it's a very straightforward episode. Where, again, it, it shows you a lot about the universe, but it, in and of itself, it is you know, a simplistic story that's there to be funny and entertain. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to mention on it before we move on? Uh, yeah, real quick, just like, uh, I feel like when we talked about Bubble Stand before, I think the, the the theme of, like, karma and stuff like that was there for sure, but this episode, mm-hmm. they're, they're kind of like, and not in a bad way, but they are put it, pushing it in your face a lot more. Like, in that episode, it took a while for the things that Squidward was doing to catch up with him, and the, the met- like, this is, like, right in your face. Like, he does something mean, something bad happens. He does something mean, something bad happens almost instantaneously. Which I think, you know, it, it it's not bad to do, and I think it does it it makes it actually a little bit funny. Um, or makes it a lot funnier. But yeah, I think, you know, the, there there are times where the themes uh, are a bit more heavy handed, uh, like in this episode, but that doesn't necessarily make it a bad thing. Uh just you know, it's just they're they're trying to make sure again, especially since kids are gonna be watching this, like, hey, like, you know, they they are again, they are trying to teach them something, even if it's not like a, you know, an education like an actual like academic lesson or something like that. And even outside of teaching morals, it's one of those things where being able to see the direct cause and effect makes you more able to appreciate the effect so they can get away with punishing Squidward a lot more times in ridiculous ways because Squidward keeps deserving it. They don't have to necessarily like build it up and have an ending payoff uh, so long as they make that like a balancing act where it's like A leads to B, B happens because of A and we have that consistent back and forth. For sure, for sure. All right, then. So to move on to 3B, which is Plankton, uh, with an exclamation point at the end of that, so you're supposed to scream it, you see. about (laughs) Exactly, yes. Before we talk about the episode itself, what I will note here is in the DVD collections, there is commentary from staff on certain episodes. Not every episode has one. There's actually very few episodes that have this commentary. However, 3B is the very first episode to get this. Now, I will go over the audio commentary first because a lot of the points I have to say about it uh, aren't directly correlated to the events of the episode, but they are just important backing information. One thing to keep in mind too is because this was part of a DVD collection, this was recorded quite a bit farther into the series. So 
if you listen to it yourself, they might say things where it's like, oh, you know, this is always happening or this character is like this. And you might not have picked up on that yet because we're still so early in. But again, that's just because this was made a little bit later. This wasn't made the same time they made the episode. And the people, so I, I made sure to say commentary and not necessarily director's commentary, as most would say, because this is actually by the voice actors. Um, the people involved in it are SpongeBob, Patrick, Squidward, Sandy, uh, much like the Blink-182 song. And then there's <laughs> Mr. Krabs and Plankton. And their voice actors, I will give them credit here where it is due. Um, in the same order I listed the characters, that is Tom Kenny, Bill Fagerbach, Roger Bumpus, Carolyn Lawrence, Clancy Brown, and Mr. Lawrence is what he goes by. He has a first name, but that's what he calls himself. And that is Plankton's voice actor. Um, I will note here as well, in case you're wondering, Carolyn Lawrence, Sandy's voice actor, and Mr. Lawrence, Plankton's voice actor, do not have any relation. The last names are spelled the same, but, you know, that just happens sometimes. Yeah, it's not that uncommon of a last name. Yeah, it's, you know, it's one of those last names, like, you could see someone, like, using for a generic purpose. Um, what is, what, what I think is funny about all this is you'll notice if you are a fan of extended SpongeBob media, if you know, like, the SpongeBob games, um any other type of the media where they would have the voice actors. Clancy Brown is kind of not involved in anything he doesn't have to be. Like, if you go and you play Battle for Bikini Bottom, that's very popular. It's like, it sounds like a bad Mr. Krabs impression. It literally sounds like, our SpongeBob, I need you to get me the shiny objects. And that's as close as it sounds to Mr. Krabs. But um, <laughs> they got him to do this. So I guess maybe he was just in the studio that day. I don't know, because he seems to be, at that time especially, he was really busy. He voiced in a lot of other work as well. But uh, I just wouldn't have expected him to be there, especially because he doesn't, he doesn't prominently appear in this episode. He has a couple lines in it. Yeah, for, for what we learn about uh, Mr. Krabs and Plankton's relationship later, uh, he I mean, it's you know it's set up that they know each other in this episode, but uh, you would expect uh, Mr. Krabs to be around a lot more than he is. I actually um, got this one confused with a later episode when it first started. I thought this was one where like we learned a little more about their relationship and that they sometimes like hang out a little bit, but that's going to come later. Um, some other things about the commentary track. So Tom Kenny basically says he's the titular character. And then, you know, this it's actually a little more adult than you would expect. I'm kind of surprised they got away with it on DVD because he's like, oh, can I say titular? Like, because, you know, tit. Um, <laughs> and there's another bit they say a little bit later where they make a joke because in the episode, you're going to see like Squidward sleeping. And then one of them says like, oh, you know, this was actually a nude scene, but they had to censor it out. It was too hot for TV. And it's like, what is that? Y'all, this y'all is a kid show, guys. I mean, I appreciate it because it's, you know, it's a kid's show, but it, it does what it wants to do. I mean, I suppose what kids would actually watch the director's commentary. I think they, I don't know. It, it's interesting because you don't normally see, or not, not director's commentary, but commentary in general. Like, you know, what kids are going to, if they get the DVD, going to listen to those, right? It's, I think they maybe work. I mean, again, you know, we, we talk about it a lot. The show does hold up well for adults. And maybe they they knew that even back then, even though they were making a kid's show, that, you know, adults might be into this and might want to, you know, hear our thoughts on a lot of this stuff. I believe also DVD releases and special features on them do not go through a rating or appeal process by the FCC, so you can get away with a lot more. Um, but it would just be up to, like, Nickelodeon's branding, like, do we what do we want to allow? However, if you're going to have people give, you know, real in-the-moment commentary, you want it to sound real, there's certain things like that that are, you know, they are adults. These things are going to come through. You know, and especially when this would have been made probably, I mean, maybe just even, like, the year 2000, you can get away with a lot more back then. You know, they, they wouldn't have been, Nowadays, Nickelodeon probably wouldn't have had that on their, on their DVD, but, you know, back then they were probably able to get it. Because, you know, those jokes aren't that, like, that adult where... You know, it's, it's that weird for them to have been on there. And SpongeBob itself has some jokes that are like weirdly adult at this time in its run as well. Uh, one fun fact we do learn here. So uh, Plankton's voice actor, Mr. Lawrence, again, he is the one who pitched this episode. And when he pitched it, it was originally called Deep Cover. Uh, however, they decided to name it Plankton uh, instead. He doesn't really go over why, but that's just something that's interesting to know. And when he's talking as well, you'll hear like his normal voice, like, he doesn't sound like Plankton. Plankton's a voice he puts on, but he does kind of sound like Larry because Larry is the other character in the show that he does. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. You, you wouldn't necessarily expect it because Plankton uh, is very distinct, very different. But like when you start hearing, you're like, who is this? Like, I know this voice from somewhere. Like, oh, that's really similar to Larry. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and so this episode starts off uh, with SpongeBob in the uh, Krusty Krab kitchen cooking up a... A Krabby Patty, a fresh Krabby Patty. And uh, it's a really 
uncomfortable scene where he's like sucking all of the ingredients into his body and then like i don't know if it comes out of his mouth i think it just comes out of one of his like he sucks them all in like through his pores and then out of like one of his pores the completed Krabby patty comes out and it's a very uncomfortable scene i don't think i'd want my food prepared that way if i if i live down there but you know i mean teach their own i suppose well, and the point to make about that as well is episode 3B, it's written by uh, Ennio Torreson, Eric Weiss, and Mr. Lawrence, and it was storyboarded by Ennio Torreson and Eric Weiss. And we actually saw some other work earlier. I said in, in an earlier episode, oh, you know, here you can really tell the difference because they squash and stretch SpongeBob's body in different ways that the other storyboarders don't. And that opening scene, you just, you immediately know, it's like, okay, this is the same team who likes to do that. Because SpongeBob, he's like, he's lifting up his head by like his arms, not in like a gruesome way or anything. He's just like shaking himself around to get the ingredients together. And just that style of like playing with SpongeBob's body, squashing and stretching him around is something that uh, these writers and storyboarders seem to like to do with him. And it's kind of like almost like, at this point in the series, again, we're, we're going through this. And this is really my first time as a watcher seeing who did what. But you see this kind of thing a couple times, and I feel like it's almost a trademark to know, like, okay, yeah, you know, they're the ones who worked on this. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's interesting to hear that, like, yeah, because there's a lot of differences between a lot of these episodes in terms of how they're animated and certain, you know, set pieces and stuff that are there. And, yeah, it makes sense to find out that, you know, a certain team did certain episodes because, yeah, they are very similar when you think about it. And I believe we've already said this, but just to establish it, you know, this is the episode where plankton first appears he is one of our antagonists who is just pretty much an antagonistic force all the time spongebob being spongebob you know it's a pretty open person but if we were to define like who is a quote-unquote like enemy against spongebob's goals it would be plankton and our introduction is he's taking a crabby patty you know the one spongebob just made he's trying to get it out of the restaurant mr crab stops him and says yeah that's plankton he's been trying to do this for years but he's kind of incompetent so he never has and plankton's comeback he says this a lot early on is that he went to college. I went to I think, college. I think he's the only character who did too, which if you wanted to look into it really is kind of a commentary on the schooling system in America where it's like he put in all this work, but it's like it kind of didn't amount to anything for him, uh, which is more relevant these days than I think ever just with the way that things are, the world is, the market is. Uh, it, and it's almost like, it, it, it's like, it's a joke because he's like, I feel like at the time the joke was I went to college, therefore I deserve these things. But now it's like he went to college and it didn't give him any of the skills to succeed at what he does. Yeah, and it's it's weirdly I, I don't even know what to make of it because uh, Plankton absolutely. I mean, obviously it's the episode with his uh, name in it, but he carries this episode really well. And uh, just he, like it's line like almost every line out of his mouth is is comedy gold, or every action he does is really good in this episode. Uh, and that's yeah, that's one of them. And it's it, it's weirdly like a lot of his jokes like that one is I think maybe soft meta, but a lot of his jokes are like really meta. And we'll see. I'll go over some of them later. Uh, but they are, it's really, it's really interesting what they did with, like, it seems like his character is just written by, like, an entirely different team, almost. Like, his jokes are really, really different and really, uh, really interesting. And the the weird thing to think about, too, once you know it, is that originally, uh, Mr. Lawrence applied to be Spongebob's voice doing the Plankton voice. So there is a, oh. a, a universe out there in which Spongebob's like, I'm ready, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah, um, that's that would have been, been odd, wow. That would have been quite different. But here, it, it's funny because the first thing we see, Spongebob, again, we've said a million times, he's positive, he's naive, he's optimistic. However, Plankton gets Spongebob alone and Spongebob's going home from work. And he's like, hey, we're friends, right? No? Yeah, Spongebob's like, no. <laughs> is... And it's like, because they literally haven't met. They, like, met that day. <laughs> yeah, they, it, it's because, you know, Spongebob tries to make friends with everyone that he meets. But it is, because, again, he respects Mr. Krabs so much that I think he, like, Mr. Krabs is like, this is a bad guy. And I think that Spongebob immediately was like, okay, this is somebody that I don't trust. You know, I immediately saw someone doing something bad and was told they are bad. They I, are not friends. I honestly don't. The seeing him do something bad, I don't think would have bothered him. It was. Just, I think it's honestly just because Mr. Krabs is like, yes, he's a bad guy. He's like, oh, okay. Regardless of being the bad guy, he he, you know, he claims, oh, you know, my birthday's coming up, and because we're friends now, I got you a gift. And he tries to give him a golden spatula, but the secret is SpongeBob does not need the golden spatulas in order to progress in his life in the main series. He does. So. He does not. But also very interesting, uh, or not very interesting, funny is when he 
when he gives SpongeBob the, the spatula, he says, "I I got you a gift. I keep it in my secret compartment." And he starts like digging around like behind him, implying that he pulls the spatula out of his ass. <laughs> Which is the, the thing that leads lends credence to that is every single time we see Plankton's back until the end of this scene, his ass is visibly drawn. Yeah, for sure. And then <laughs> it is. And then once he pulls it out. Instead of like, you know, it's this golden, like beautiful golden spatula. And you would you would normally think in a thing like there would be like a little like twinkling noise or something like that. But Patrick or Plankton actually makes the, he goes shing sparkle sparkle like with his and that's just another example of like how meta his character is. Yeah, and that might be part of the reason too. Uh, you know, the voice actor he said he pushed for as many Plankton episodes as possible because you know Plankton's just a fun character to you know work with because he gets to do things like that and then you know even like when so spongebob's like no i'm not gonna help you and he basically he walks away and plankton's like you're gonna help me whether you like it or not and just out of nowhere he pulls out a gramophone <laughs> yeah. which is villain music playing and uh, it, it's funny because again in the director's commentary there's a moment where tom kenny says you know I, you know i love the fact that we use record players in this show his direct quote there is kids will know what record players are just from this show now, if we think about that, at that time, record players were something people, they had fallen out of style. Now, how ironic is it that vinyl is a lot more back in style and has been like the it last is, couple yeah. of years. Especially among younger people the generation well. that would have seen that. That is, yeah, that is strange. So um, you have to wonder if there's a little psyop going on there. You see, Tom Kenny had it planned the whole time. There was another little joke there um, before the, the gramophone scene where... Um, where Plankton asks Spongebob, or he's going to ask Spongebob, you know, because he's like, hey, I got you a gift, now get me something for my birthday. And he says, can you think of what I want? And Spongebob goes, a booster seat? And Plankton goes, booster, booster seat, seat, hot dog! dog. <laughs> it's like, because he is he is short, that would be something that, you know, it, uh, Plankton's stature is something that gets brought up a lot with this character. He's very insecure about it, so that's a funny little... And it's not really addressed in this episode at all, like, outside of that line, uh, but everything else, but it's funny that that's a little call or I guess a call forward to, to future, uh, future scenes with him. And then after that, we do see, uh, so SpongeBob, he's going to sleep. It's the end of the night. Plankton comes into his house, you know, for other characters, you might ask, how did they break in? But he is like less than two inches tall. So yeah. it's one of those things where it's like, okay, he's like actually hiding in SpongeBob's bed already by the time we're established there. And then he's like, oh, you know, I am going to make you give it to me whether you like it or not. And he tries to play his record player again, but we find out, um, get it flipped to the B side. And the B side of his dramatic music is letters of the alphabet. <laughs> I don't know why that would be the B side to that, but I guess, you know, that's what he needed that day. It's what he needed, man. Um, yeah, that's a that's a really funny bit. Uh, and then he goes inside the, um, the head or just the body, I don't know, whatever, of SpongeBob. And he's trying to find his way to his brain. And, Which he has an interstate map with. Yeah, he has it. Yeah, it, it's he pulls out a map, and it's like just like a normal map of like an interstate or something with just a picture of a brain in the middle of it, <laughs> which just is so weird. And then he gets to the brain, and uh, because SpongeBob's rolling around in bed, his brain for some reason is just free f hanging in his head, so it starts rolling around the head, and uh, and uh, Patch or uh, Plankton is uh, chasing it around. And he yells, come back here, you swine. Now, swine is a word that I use as an insult all the time now. And I didn't know where I got it from until I saw this episode again. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, it's, it's just all those things that you don't, you don't even... It's so impactful that sometimes you don't even know where you get some of the things you say from. And it's just like, yeah, I, I, I definitely got it from this episode when Plankton said swine. I just didn't, I didn't know that that's why I said it so often until, until watching it again. And then even after that, his ultimate solution to keep the brain where it needs to be is to duct tape it down. That's it, brain. Uh, You're going down. He pulls out a tape. It pulls out like a, like a tape and just tapes it all down. It's just one of those things where like Plankton is smart enough to make a mind control device, but also like his solution here is just duct tape. <laughs> yeah. And then so eventually he uh, he puts the, the mind control thing on. His, it's not even really a mind control thing. It's just like it's like a, a Remy the rat from Ratatouille thing where he's just like he's just making his brain do things by like putting pressure into it. And so um, SpongeBob gets up and starts uh, moving uncontrollably. Uh, and there is, 
he doesn't realize at first that something's wrong. He just thinks his body is being weird and doing stuff, like, without him thinking about it. And so he starts walking towards his kitchen. And there's a, there's a funny line where SpongeBob says, time for a well-balanced breakfast. And then he crashes through the fridge and he has, like, a bunch of food on his head. <laughs> he's, like, balancing on his head. And he's like, this isn't what I had in mind. And that's just, like, I, I don't think I had ever recognized that joke before until watching it again. But it's just, like, all the little jo- Like, this episode is just chock full of them. Like, every line is is a clever, is either a really direct or clever joke. It's one of those things where like when you're young enough that you don't catch the like verbal ticks and jokes in something like Rugrats where it's like, oh, they're saying it wrong. That's the joke. Like you're obviously not going to catch the wordplay of well-balanced breakfast. But when you look back at it as an adult, that's again, one of those things where it's like the humor styling allows you to enjoy it. Cause it's like, oh, that's funny in a way that took like a not a lot of thought obviously but it's like you know you have to understand it and in that sense it's one of those psychological things like if the brain has to make a connection that it wasn't expecting it will find that more humorous yeah for and then sure. the, the next thing happens he's like okay gotta put on my pants walks past um and guess i'm not wearing pants today like spongebob still has not realized there's a problem he's just like i guess my body does not want to wear pants and that's what the world's gonna deal with <laughs> he, just, he doesn't really see a problem with i mean he, he's kind of like a little bit nervous but he doesn't really seem like it's that big of a deal he just doesn't know what's going on which i guess if that started happening to you your first thought wouldn't be i'm being mind controlled i suppose but yeah it's 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 strange well, that's the thing is like he doesn't realize it until Gary, his uh, pet snail, I don't think we've mentioned that, but he has a snail. That, it's essentially a cat. It meows uh, and it doesn't really talk. But Gary, he meows like tell him like, hey, you're being controlled. And that's when was like, oh, my God, I'm being controlled. Yeah, it's kind of a uh, it's it's one of those, you know, we see this a lot, especially in uh, in animation where a character doesn't have an actual voice that we can understand, but the characters themselves can understand them. So Gary is, is that SpongeBob seems to completely understand Gary when, when he talks. And then we see, so he's, you know, continuing to be controlled. He's walking through Plankton is just cutting through buildings, piloting him like a fucking Megazord. And then we, we cut into Squidward's house. Now Squidward (laughs) normally only wears a shirt, but he is not wearing it in bed. So Squidward uh, apparently sleeps naked, and at this moment, that's the canon to it. That gets retconned later. They make him wear pajamas, but at this time, he sleeps naked, and he's like, SpongeBob, what are you doing in my house? And then Plankton, you know, he's controlling SpongeBob, takes control of his and is like, shut up. You are a mediocre clarinet player <laughs> at best, and you are not worth existence. And Squidward is so destroyed by that, he just passes out on the spot. Which, at this point, he understands that, like, he... he- he doesn't like SpongeBob and he doesn't really respect him, but he doesn't know that that's not SpongeBob. So he thinks it's SpongeBob saying that to him and that just destroys him as a person. And it's, it gets like, I mean, I guess it shows how fragile Squidward's ego is, but you know, somebody that he doesn't even really respect telling him that he's a mediocre clarinet player at best just ruins his life. Yeah. It's like, he, I feel like in his heart of hearts, he probably knows that. But for someone like SpongeBob to say it is going to hit a lot harder because SpongeBob would not say that. Then we see, you know, there's a couple other like visual gags. Uh, you know, SpongeBob runs into Patrick's house and Patrick is balanced on his head. Now, we don't know whether it is SpongeBob consciously or Plankton who decided to do this, but they just throw Patrick. Like Patrick just gets thrown back to his house. A part of me wants to believe that's SpongeBob, who was like, this is an inconvenience. Well, and then there was a funny, there was a little funny uh, thing that I didn't notice again until this watch around where he, like, so uh, Patrick gets flung and he's like, he his, his point, because he's a starfish, uh, gets stuck in the ground and does like a little like boing. And then, like, after he settles, uh, Patrick just goes, oh, like makes like a weirdly like sexual noise implying that that he really liked what happened there, which is really weird. I don't know if that's supposed to be him like snoring or like what that noise was supposed to be, but it is, it is definitely there. It was a, it was, it was very distinctly a pleasurable noise, which, which is very uncomfortable to me. Yeah. And then from there, you know, he basically Plankton's goal is to get the Krabby Patty so he can get the recipe and copy it at his restaurant, which is across the street. Uh, We're introduced to here. It's called the Chum Bucket. And we see it's more of like a sci-fi like lab than a restaurant. And we do see his lab, uh, (laughs) meaning his dog. And then we see his laboratory. That is, I, 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 this is the one that I've said a couple times this episode that there were jokes that I didn't get. This is the one that I'm most ashamed by. 
that he said, this is my lab. He walks through the door and there's like a dog on a screen that you see running around. And I, di- I didn't get, it's like, oh yeah, that's just, a, that's just like a Labrador. Okay. Yeah. I just didn't, I somehow didn't get that until now. Yeah. That uh, one's on you. Yeah. That was definitely on me. And then, yeah, and he goes, this is my laboratory. It's God, it's such a, it's such a, it's a good joke. I'm glad I know it now because it's really funny. It is. It's, you know, one of those keystone jokes of early SpongeBob. And what it leads into is another thing that became kind of popular as a meme later. So Plankton has an analyzer and he's like, you know, here's what it does. He drops a piece of seaweed in it and it's like it analyzes the components and it's 50% sea, 50% weed. Uh, They either knew what they were doing or aged very well. Yeah. And then, and then after that, um, Plankton is going to make SpongeBob, who he's controlling, drop the Krabby Patty. But then SpongeBob starts to apologize to people in his life that he's going to be letting down, you know, Mr. Krabs, Squidward. And then he apologizes, but then he says, most of all, to you, little Krabby Patty, and starts, like, describing how good it is. And then Plankton gets, like, actually, like, he starts salivating. This is something he does earlier in the episode, too, when uh, SpongeBob's talking about the Krabby Patty. But he starts salivating and, and, and clearly really into it, like, almost like he's horny for the Krabby Patty. And then he, he jumps out of SpongeBob's head, not wanting to drop it in. He wants to eat it himself with a fork and knife. And then he bounces off of the Krabby Patty into the, into the analyzer. And the the classic uh, plankton one percent evil ninety nine percent hot gas is a is a really funny bit, and and that's you know that's where the episode ends. You know SpongeBob can just go home because he's not being controlled by plankton anymore. But one thing that you might have noticed as we're describing that or as we're watching it is this episode in a lot of ways is very different than the other ones. Um, we could say that the general plots of SpongeBob are very humanistic. They're about like problems and feelings that you would have about situations but whenever it's plankton centric and again this is part of like probably why they wanted to do more plankton episodes is they get to break from that and just do something like crazier with like a kind of sci-fi tilt to it where it's just like they can break all of the rules and just have something like okay brain control is just going to be what happens this time yeah it's they they clearly tried to keep themselves grounded for other episodes i mean you know grounded quote unquote for you know this show um but yeah these episodes are where they really can be creative and and do what they want um and they also set up you know there's this i mean you know this is the first time we see plankton in the show who becomes a very uh, staple character um this is the first time i think because i don't think it's ever really established before this that Krabby Patties, at least, we don't really get this from anyone other than the perspective of Plankton, but Krabby Patties and therefore the Krusty Krab is, like, really popular. It's, like, it's apparently, like, the best sandwich ever. And this is, this is you, you know, we kind of get that, you know, you could say, like, oh, well, the nematodes or the, the anchovies from the first episode kind of indicate that. But I think that's more just, it was, the, the gag there was, like, oh, there's a ton of you know, customers to this restaurant. But this is the first time we get the indication that the Krusty Krab is actually a really good restaurant and really popular. That is true. And we we haven't, like, really established that yet. But we do have a whole episode later and a lot of other plot lines that do revolve around the idea that the Krusty Krab is the most popular restaurant because the Krabby Patty is, like, the best food under the sea. And then, therefore, it makes sense for Plankton's character to his whole thing to be wanting to steal the Krabby Patty secret formula. Exactly. And there's even more backstory to that way, way, way later yeah, that's, you know, down the way. That's but yeah, multiple seasons from now. Where we're at now, that's kind of just what it is. We're also introduced, not by name, but Plankton's computer. We don't really know this at this point, but she has consciousness. And Plankton considers her to be uh, his wife. And her name is Karen. A uh, fun fact about her, Karen is voiced by... Uh, her name is Jill Talley, and she is Tom Kenny's wife. But the name Karen actually comes from Stephen Hillenberg's wife. So it's like, that's, that's, that's kind of weird. Yeah, I guess it's just the, the cross between the two wives, I suppose. They were maybe... Yeah, I, I, I'm not that. sure if like there was anything intentional there, if like, that's just how it worked out. But I uh, thought that was certainly an interesting thing to bring up. So, you know, that complete computer voice, 50% C, 50% weed. You know, she, in and of herself, is her own independent character who will show up from time to time. Yeah, I wonder if they. I wonder if by this episode they had that in mind, or they. I, I assume they didn't because I feel like they would have maybe established that a little bit more. Um, but I, you know, I mean, it makes sense because they, you know, the, you c- they kind of need a character for Plankton to bounce off of when he's alone, or I mean, he's technically not alone because he's with Karen, but like when he's not interacting with Mr. Krabs or SpongeBob or any of them. Um, so you know, it makes sense that she eventually just becomes an actual character. 
Yeah, I don't remember seeing anything about her in the pitch Bible. So I actually don't know exactly when that was decided. So it's possible at this point, she was just a computer. And then in later plankton centric episodes, they needed someone from to bounce off of, but he doesn't have any actual allies per se. So they needed to give him something. Uh, and maybe maybe that is why that's kind of speculation on that. Um, the one other thing that I do want to bring up about this episode, this is from the uh, commentary again, is now I always thought this was a fan theory, but apparently there's credence to it. Uh, one of the voice actors said that what's fun about the characters and what gives them a dynamic is they're all based off one of the seven deadly sins and that Steven Hillenberg wanted that to be a connection. I honestly thought that was just like a crackpot fan theory. I did not think that was true. But according to the voice actors, that is an intentional thing. So you're supposed to be able to read into a deadly sin that each of these characters embodies. And some of those are more obvious than others. Um, Sandy's voice actor cuts in and says, well, well, what's Sandy's sin supposed to be? And then it's like, you know, she's a female character. What do you think the sin's supposed to be? So like no one can actually say anything. She like realizes instantly and it's like, oh, it's uh, karate. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. I, I feel like that's, they maybe tried that. I mean, I guess that it kind of makes sense with like how SpongeBob's character was maybe intended to interact with Sandy, but yeah, I mean, they kind of, you know, I mean, for other characters, it makes sense for others. It's a bit more, it's a bit more of a stretch for sure. I mean, again, like I legitimately thought all this time that was a fan theory, but apparently it was an influence going into the show. So that's one of those things that uh, I don't think you hear anywhere else. So that's, just something I, I would have never thought was true. I honestly thought it was made up, but there is at least in the early seasons some credence to that in its design. Interesting. Well, yeah, I think that uh, I think that about wraps it up for for this episode. Then, Kurt, what do you think? Yeah, I didn't have anything else I really needed to add to it. Um, again, definitely, it's good episode to watch three A and three B both. They're very iconic and the if you can get your hands as well on the audio commentary people have uploaded it online i think it's an interesting listen you get a lot of back and forth you really get to see how these voice actors interact with each other what the kind of vibe probably is at this time like around the like probably not the office per se but you know when they run into each other doing these takes and it's just it's very real it's very human and it's one of those things about this show where it's like you can see something different in it that's probably not there today in the same way just because time changes things but as someone who's grown up with the show, it feels very good and very interesting to hear them talk about how they felt about the show at this time. But with that, that's about all we have to say about episode three. Uh, if you have any thoughts or any comments about that, we do have a couple different ways to be contacted. We've opened up a Twitter that is under SBLamatic. SpongeBob Lamatic was unfortunately one too long. Uh, sorry, that's SBLamatic cast, like podcast at the end there. Uh, but yeah, if you know want to follow our Twitter, if you like this, we'll be posting updates there. You want to shout at us, want to say like, hey, I think this about this episode here, you should like bring up this. We're always open to hearing from people who are interested and we would love to see you back here again next week. Yeah. And also we have uh, started a YouTube channel as well. So that is going to be SpongeBob Lematic Cast on YouTube. Um, and then also our, our you know, our audio podcasts uh, on uh, Spotify, Apple Music and Google podcasts so considering you're already listening to this on one you're not obligated to listen on the others but if it's more convenient to switch around i know why i like youtube playlists a little better just because of the way they work but that's just me you listen where you want to listen we'll do our best to entertain there all right see you, everybody and we will see you next time <laughs>